Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a look at how music affects our everyday lives. Have you ever heard of someone who eagerly began learning to play a musical instrument, excited by the idea of creating music, and before long felt so frustrated and discouraged by the process of translating this page of dots and symbols into meaningful sound (laughs) that they gave it up and decided that they are, quote, just not musical? I think we all know of someone who's been in that situation, maybe a child of ours, maybe yourself. For those of us music teachers, it could be a student who we've had who is clearly bright, but just couldn't seem to get it with our teaching. Our guest today can relate to some extent to that story, and he has dedicated his life to connecting kids and adults to music in a new and powerful way. Graham Winter is CEO of MellowQuest. He's an advocate for music education reform and has had great success teaching music using a non-traditional method based on the multiple intelligences theory, a theory that everyone learns in different ways. Welcome to the show, Graham. Thank you so much for having me. Very, uh, very blessed to be here. In one of your articles, you mentioned that music learning across the board, including private lessons and school music programs, and I quote, suffers from an astonishingly high dropout rate of almost 80% in the first three years, end quote. Wow. <laughs> that that kind of blew me away. And not because I can't believe it's true, but just seeing it in black and white really got my attention. And you you personally experienced this to some extent. Tell us a little bit about your first experiences with music lessons as a kid. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I got introduced to music around five years old. Uh, my mom, my sisters and I were in a little apartment in the middle of Colorado and our neighbors in the next apartment over were moving. They left us a little upright spinet. And I was immediately uh, intrigued uh, and enamored by music at such a young age. And so I don't know how my mom afforded it, but she got, us, um, she got me lessons through the church organist uh, at our local church. And right away, I noticed that I was trying to learn differently than the way she was teaching me. So she wanted to teach me how to read notes on the staff. And I was waiting for her to leave the lesson so I could run back and play back what I heard. <laughs> and I, <laughs> so I was faking my lessons. Um, and I did this for about eight years Oh my word. <laughs> until one fateful day when I'm like level five Alfred, they, you know, the, the songs are getting pretty big. Yeah. And again, I had, the, I had developed my ear, but I didn't develop the fluency or the understanding of music. So I was strictly an ear player at this point and it was just getting too hard for me to memorize all the sounds. And she caught me one day looking at the wrong page while I was playing and she stopped me and she said, Wait, where are you? <laughs> well, I just have to say, no disrespect to your teacher, but a teacher should be able to figure out that by before you hit level five. <laughs> you, know, you would think, but I was very, very clever at trying to fake reading. And it was, it was, it was kind of a skill that I acquired along the way because I didn't want her to know what a poor sight reader I was because I didn't want her to you know give up on me or I didn't want her to think that I was uh, inadequate. But unfortunately, that's exactly what happened is once she realized after all those years of teaching me, I couldn't do the basic skills that she thought she was teaching me. Mm-hmm. Uh, she became very frustrated and told me to quit. And I, oh. and I underst- And I was 13 at the time. So I, I understood now, as an adult, I understand. At the time, I didn't. But as an adult, I understood why she was so frustrated with me. Um, because she had this skill set of how she can teach, and I was not conforming to that. And so she kind of maybe in her own way felt like she had failed me as well. So, mm-hmm. so I did quit. I, I, you know, obviously I lasted a lot longer than 
a few months, but I did end up quitting as well. I struggled my whole life in the traditional learning circles, and it was very confusing for me because I loved everything about music. And I'm thinking, how is it that I love it so much, and yet I, str- I struggle to thrive in it? I don't understand this. Uh-huh. So it was very – this kind of leads into really my discoveries in myself first and then in my students second, which was – we all learn differently. I, I can't sight read a page to save my life, but yet I can play anything I hear instantly. Mm. What does that mean? What is, what is that all about? And, yeah. and I teach someone to do that. And so, you know, through years of research and development and understanding kind of these different pathways of multiple intelligence, which I'm a big believer in because I, I experience it every day in our school. Mm-hmm. That's where I really struggled uh, my whole life. And even into the university level, uh, I struggled in the lecture halls. I got in, you know, arguments with the professors because I'm, I'm asking them to teach me in a different way. Uh-huh. And they didn't want to do it. And they said, no, this is how I teach and you're going to learn <laughs> this way. And I said, well, then I'm going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> I, my mind doesn't work that way. And the, the rigidity that I felt from even the highest echelons of education was very frustrating. And I thought, where is the open-mindedness here? So I actually ended up making the decision my third year in to not pursue this anymore. And I went on and got my degree in biology. And I obviously still loved everything about music. And after I graduated, I, I was very depressed because I thought, you know, I'm supposed to be going now down this completely different tangent, but I, my passion and my calling is music. And so I found my way back to it. But when I came back to it, I thought, you know, the traditional way of teaching just didn't work for me. Uh, when I taught in college, my, my poor kids were bored out of their minds, you know, same <laughs> same books, same songs, different students. I said, there's got to be something else that we can do here. And what, why is it that I'm so passionate about it? And, I'm, and I love to create and I love just learning by listening and all this other stuff. Is that, could I turn that into a method? Mm-hmm. And that's where it all came from for us. And so the answer was absolutely we can. We started having a lot of success teaching in this kind of new and different way. And it's just fascinating uh, to see how many people had tried lessons growing up or as kids or had their kids try it. And they just, it didn't work out. And they thought that, I'm well, I'm not just musical. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just cut out for this. And what my entire body of work has led me to believe is that every single person on this planet is musical. We're born with this gift. It's a divine gift. It's something that is in all of us, but it lays dormant. And if it's not, it's not unlocked and it's not, nurtured in the right way or the right form uh then we never uh, we never reach that potential our musical potential mm. but i have never once looked at someone and said you are not musical i mm. not once and i've mm-hmm. taught over a thousand students and so my my passion and my joy as a teacher is trying to figure out what the combination is for each one of my students because i know uh, and this goes along with multiple intelligence that every single student learns differently they're unique in how they acquire their musical information. Yeah, why don't we just take a quick pause? Can you explain to listeners this whole theory of multiple yep. intelligence? Absolutely. So multiple intelligence basically is the idea that we are not one giant mega brain processor up there. We actually are compartmentalized into a lot of mini processors, cognitively speaking, that do a lot of different things. And we all possess pretty much all of them, but we possess different strengths and weaknesses in all of these areas. And how many are there? Uh, To date, there's eight of them as far as I, but I think there might be scratching the surface on nine or 10. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And just tell us what they are. Okay. So we have verbal linguistic, we have logical, mathematical, visual, visual, spatial, uh, musical intelligence is its own category, Uh naturalistic, 
bodily or kinesthetic, interpersonal and intrapersonal. Okay. And kind of the idea is that standardized tests and school in general is really geared toward, is it verbal, linguistic, Mm -hmm. and logical, mathematical? That's correct. Okay. So if, if students or kids in general happen to have be strong in those areas, they probably do great in school. But those who are strong in, stronger in other areas like musical or bodily kinesthetic, spatial, can really struggle with yeah. traditional learning methods. And you, you designed a method of teaching music based on these multiple intelligences, and you have experienced a retention rate of almost 75%. Yes, absolutely. And you, you just touched on a really big problem in our schools. Um, if you've got a learning environment that caters to two, maybe three of the intelligences, then when I look at a bell curve of grading, that's what I see. I mm-hmm. see students who learn, you know, uh, the upper echelon is students who fit those learning intelligences very well. And then a lot of them fit in this kind of midsection. And then the, then you have the ones at the very end who that doesn't speak to their intelligences at all in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And what happens is what's so sad is that these kids then get stigmatized, they get labeled, um, they become disinterested, disengaged, and then they look for ways to stimulate their minds. And then usually it's in disruptive ways in the classroom. And so I think it's a huge problem, actually. And I, you know, we're looking to some newer models. I know some of the MI schools, I think even um, Montessori to a certain extent, you know, they're trying to expand the different learning pathways for these kids to to obtain information and that's what we did in our music school we said okay there's actually three powerful pathways of learning in music and the first one uh is visual and this could be any type of visual information it could be it doesn't have to be notes on a staff it could be you know tablature it could be chord charting fake books whatever whatever form that you get by reading um yeah i even say even the youtube videos that tell you to press here here and here form of visual <laughs> visual learning uh, that's to be debated but uh, the second one is the aural pathway the ear the listening pathway and what surprises people is that by listening to a song you're getting all the information you would if you're reading it on a sheet music you're getting not just melody harmony and rhythm you're also getting dynamics you're getting articulations mm. you're getting you know tempo uh rubatos you get you get all the feel there and it just it's not static though it's not mm. all laid out for you but it's the same information. And so um, it's a very, very good way to learn. If you think about how do we all learn, how do we all experience music every day? We listen to it. And every time you listen to it, you are training your mind musically. And this is, again, back to why I said everyone's musical. I know everyone's musical because they listen to music almost every day of their life. Mm-hmm. And so they have a tremendous amount of experience. And what I get so excited about as a teacher is, okay, how can I connect with all that experience inside this person and get them on that on their learning strength so that they're it's easy, it's fun, but they're progressing quickly and they're seeing results almost instantly. Yeah. Uh, Just for a little context for listeners, this the multiple intelligences theory is almost 40 years old. It was yeah. it was uh, sort of first identified or created or put out there by psychologist Howard Gardner in 1983. He published a book, uh, Frames of Mind, The Theory of Multiple Intelligences. And it detailed this, this new model of human intelligence that went beyond the traditional view that there's this single kind of intelligence that can be ma- measured by standardized tests. I think one of his articles mentioned that there 
there could be up to 10 different intelligences. Can you just like really quick in a, just a sentence describe what characterizes the different intelligences? So you mentioned verbal linguistic and logical mathematical. Those are both what schools tend to cater to. And how would you describe those two? The verbal linguistic is basically an individual's ability to analyze information and produce work through oral or written language. So okay. you're looking at speeches, books, emails, things like that. Um, logical mathematical is uh, more the ability to um, develop equations, uh, make calculations, you know, solve more abstract kind of problems. Okay. Uh, musical, you know, this is an interesting one to me because I think that <laughs> I think that there's a, a deep bucket here. On the higher level, it's uh, individuals that can produce or make meaning of different types of sounds. That's a pretty wide range for me personally as a, as a music sure. teacher. I think that there's a lot to be dug into on that one. Yeah, definitely. If we have time, I'd love to come back and do a deep dive on that one. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> what about body kinesthetic? Being able to move your almost like motor skills, but even at a finer level and just your, your ability to control those movements to help you solve problems that are in front of you. So uh, from a musical standpoint, it's, you know, some technical development to get through a tough musical passage, things like that. Okay. What about visual spatial? Visual spatial is, you know, being able to, this is where I actually have a weakness, okay. <laughs> is being able to make sense of visual information. It could be anywhere from, you know, maps and graphs to other types of making patterns through the visual pathways. Okay. Interpersonal. Uh, interpersonal is something that I love myself because it's kind of like empathetic. And I think that as a performer, well, I always tell my our students that the most important thing in a performance is your connection to your music, which is connected to the audience. And so interpersonal really is that ability to, to understand how other people are kind of feeling. And, you know, it's, it's that empathy. It's putting yourself in, into their shoes or helping them to adjusting their emotional states. Okay. And intrapersonal? And then that's uh, 180 of what interpersonal is outward and then intra is inward. So this is the ability for you to make sense of your own emotions. And I think this is one of the most powerful, uh, music is the most, one of the most powerful outlets for this. Because a lot of times we don't really, we can't make sense of what we're feeling on the inside. There's so much, just a swirl of so many emotions throughout our lives that, that sometimes they can only be spoken through a different medium. And, and for me, it's 100% music. I can I can sit down and I can tell my instrument through music how I'm feeling on the inside without having to say a word. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is when we see our students doing that and we we give them the tools to have that form of self-expression. It's a it's an amazing thing. Yeah. Well, and Howard Gardner says that a belief in a single intelligence assumes that we have one central all-purpose computer, and it determines how well we perform in every sector of life. In contrast, a belief in multiple intelligences assumes that we have a number of relatively autonomous computers, one that computes linguistic information, another spatial information, another musical, and so on. And he estimates that Humans have about seven to 10 distinct intelligences. Now, how do you pull that into teaching music? If a student first comes to you for music lessons, what do you do to figure out where their strengths are? Yeah, excellent question. And this is what I love the most because I kind of go in with the sense of, okay, I know that you've been listening to music your whole life. Okay, so I know that there's something about music that resonates with you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in there and say, okay, let's do some fun, and I, I call them games, but they're really assessments. Mm-hmm. And so through these different kind of assessment tools, 
we're able to identify how strong are these areas because we know they have all of these areas, but to what, where are the strengths really at? And so in music, going back to kind of our method approach is you've got the visual pathway, you've got the aural or listening pathway, and then you have the creative pathway. And creative intelligence to me is fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) I I just absolutely love it. I could, I can't even tell you that this spectrum of responses that I get from students when we go into creative games, (laughs) some are very fearful of it and some dive head first, like (gasps) to the deep end of the pool. So we all have the ability to create. I think that is innate. I think that as we get older, we have to also take in some of that, how we've been shaped by our uh, society and how we've been shaped by our life circumstances can really impact that area. But those are the three, sight, uh, sound, and creative. And so those are the three learning pathways that we actually look for in a a brand new student. Mm -hmm. And then once we find out what their strengths are, then we set them on that path right away. We'll say, okay, we're going to get you learning on this particular tangent because we know you have strengths there. It's fun and easy for you, and you're going to see a lot of progress. Mm-hmm. And just to clarify here, what you do with assessing students is not determine is musical intelligence their primary intelligence. You can use students who have any of those intelligences as their primary intelligence. Is that right? Absolutely. Like if you think about the visual spatial, you might have a great sight reader on your hands. Okay. Or kinesthetic. You might have a technical guru, you know, a virtuoso, a least virtuoso on your head. Like, it's really fascinating to, to dig deep. And you can't do it in one session, obviously. And it's kind of fluid, too. Like, sometimes my students really surprise me. I'll show up for a lesson and they'll say, look, look, look what I did. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <That's> incredible. <laughs> I didn't see that coming, right? So, you know, there's times where the intelligence is kind of emerge. They lay dormant or lay hidden. And then through the process of discovery, And through the process of development, you kind of stumble across these strengths and you're like, wow, I didn't have you pegged like that. And and again, I don't say pegged. It's like almost like it's very fluid. So this is where you're at currently, but that doesn't mean that you're always going to stay there. Okay. So you could have a student come in and through the assessment, you determine that their musical intelligence is one of the lower, but maybe they have really great interpersonal or intrapersonal or body kinesthetic. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're low when they come in on musical intelligence doesn't have any bearing at all on what the results of their lessons will be, their music lessons. No, not at all. And I think that, you know, music, again, I think musical intelligence is a big category. So what I like to say is, well, I probably wouldn't ever say that you have a low musical intelligence. What I was because again, we have so much experience and exposure to music. It's just mm-hmm. like sure, it's like a language we've heard our whole life, like a secondary language. So mm-hmm. I think that uh, there's always well, I, I know this is true because this is how my teachings have have shown me is that there's always something I can attach to that student musically, mm-hmm. something I can find in there, and maybe it's hidden in this secondary intelligence, but it's going to be something like like for example, for the back to the creativity intrapersonal i can you know through our creative games i can actually feel the mood or emotional connection that a student has with their creativity Mm. and they might not be able to play at a high level but they might be able to connect so strongly that blows you away you're like oh my gosh that was powerful whatever you just did Ah, interesting yeah i can think of students who would fit that description yeah so it's just it is all across the spectrum Um, and that's what makes i think the art of teaching so powerful and so fun for me I know a lot of teachers, the dangers I see is that they get stuck into doing things the same way over and over ad nauseum. And so there's very little excitement in that. Mm-hmm. But when you start teaching, you know, using MI, multiple intelligence approach, or you start using creativity a lot in your lesson, all of a sudden, it just, it ignites the teacher. 
And think about what that does for the students. Mm. You know, the teacher's excited and engaged and having fun and everything's new and, and fresh. Oh, my goodness, you have, like, the best lessons ever because, you know, now your students are just right on board with you. Mm, sure. Well, and I'm guessing that if you're teaching from a perspective of multiple intelligences, you learn to not only identify the strengths in students, but also identify their weak areas and put together some kind of a plan that can develop both strengths and weaknesses. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Because you want to you want to nurture the, the weaknesses, but you don't want to focus on them. Sure. You want to bring them up and make sure they don't, they're not completely left behind. That being said, I've had students that say, I don't want to do that. Usually that's sight reading. Mm. <laughs> do that ever again. I'm like, fine, you don't have to. I can bring you to high levels of musicianship without you ever having to read a note. So are we good there? We're good. Okay. As long as parent, mom and dad understand we're uh, doing things a little bit non-traditionally. Are you okay with that? They just want their kids to love music, to be connected, to get the, the massive benefits that music education gives their child. That's what they want. And so, you know, some parents have a preconceived idea of what that looks like. But very quickly after I talk to them and say, and I kind of explain to them all these different intelligences and explain to them these different approaches, they'll say, you know what? That sounds good to me. The number one thing is that my child grows up loving music, having music in their life. And if we're, if we're very blessed, having it as a form of self-expression and uh, an artistic outlet. Mm-hmm. Now, if people are listening to this, whether they're parents, educators, students, piano teachers, music teachers, and they think, boy, this kind of makes sense. <laughs> um, I wonder how I can find out some more about this and start applying that with my child or in my teaching studio or in my school setting. What would you recommend? Well, that's a really good question because we're about to launch off a new business. We've developed a game called Keys and Kingdoms, which is the very first role-playing game for kids that trains real musical skills and abilities. So think of Zelda meets Guitar Hero, kind of. <laughs> that is probably the best way I can I can say that. So that is one way that we can get teachers and everyone listening kind of involved with, okay, this is a different way of learning. But another another way to do it is just to reach out to me. I think um, if you have a way for your listeners to connect with me. because Yes, yes, I'll definitely list those in the show notes. I love talking with music teachers. I love helping them see bigger things and say, okay, look, you do this really, really well. Now, take a look at this, this, and this that you can incorporate mm-hmm. and make those lessons even more exciting for not just your student, but also for you. I think that's really important for music teachers is for them to stay at a high level of motivation, excitement, energy. And the only way to do that is to think outside of the box, think more on the lines of multiple intelligence and different pathways of learning. Mm-hmm. Now, tell us a little bit about this game. It just released, the beta version just released the beginning of June? Yep, June 1st we released, and we just did a real slow trickle out. We have to get uh, kind of kick the tires on it, so to speak, make sure that um, we're not having massive crashes all the place, such as the life of uh, tech and software. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, we're very, very excited from early testing with the students and seeing how engaged uh, they are. Uh, with the game, and they don't even realize that they're getting incredible ear training, they're getting creativity through crafting different items, and they're getting uh, technical development through you know battling enemies and going on quests and all kinds of fun. So it's really taking music education and gamifying it to a degree that's never been done before. Okay, and it's called the game is called Keys and Kingdoms. Correct. Okay. And it's the first ever role-playing game that develops real musical skills and abilities. That's correct. Okay. 
And you mentioned Zelda meets Guitar Hero. You have the Guitar <laughs> Hero creator and mastermind on your board, right? We do. And um, he's trying to call this the next Guitar Hero, which is was a, we were very flattered by that. So ah. I don't know if that's going to come to fruition, but I certainly am going to do all, my, all I can to get as many kids possible the confidence and the belief that learning music is for them. We saw this in the classrooms before uh, COVID hit. Uh, we were doing some testing with music teachers in, in their classrooms at school. And we would literally just line up the kids and have them all do a quick little battle sequence. Mm. And when they were done and, and the bell rang, I could see it on their faces. Every single child thought to themselves, you know what? Music maybe is for me. I can't. Mm. This is something I could do. Mm. Whereas when they walked into that classroom, a lot of them thought, eh, I have to do this, but I'm not really musical. Yeah. Right. So this is where I think the game could really ignite a spark in our kids is, you know, just by playing the game, you have to play the game being musical. So there's no, well, I played the game, but I still don't think I'm musical. You will come away from that thinking, wow, I have a musical power mm-hmm. inside of me. And that's, that's our mm-hmm. motto. Unlock your musical power. Uh. Everyone has it, but this is just not, you know, it hasn't been un- unleashed yet. And so we want to unleash that power. Awesome. And where can we find out more about the Keys and Kingdom scheme? So there's a couple websites you can go to. One is mellowquest.com. That's M-E-L-O-Quest.com. Or you can go to the actual uh, gaming website, which is keysandkingdomsgame.com. Awesome. And the game is being made available free, I understand, to music teachers? Yes, that's something that I'm, obviously my passion is in the educational sector. So if you're a music teacher in a school anywhere in the U.S., we would love to connect with you and give you a free license to use in your classroom. You would, won't believe what those, how those kids react to this. It's, um, it's quite special. Mm. What kind of equipment do I need to play it? Is it just on the website with a mouse? That's a great question. So the very first thing you can do is try it out on your uh, mobile device for free. You can play it using your iPhone, your iPad, just touching on the screen. Um, You can also use your computer and use your QWERTY uh, keyboard to play. Okay. That'll get you only so far in the game. And then it's going to ask you to connect a keyboard. And at that time, we have a bundle box that you can get that has everything you need. Or if you already have a keyboard at home, then we'll kind of direct you um, real easily through, okay, what chord do you need uh, <sighs> to connect your keyboard to whatever device you want, iOS, Android, Mac, or PC? I'm looking forward to checking it out. Well, music touches all humans in such powerful ways. I think it's wonderful if the multiple intelligences theory can help even more people experience the joys of making music. I'm going to kind of change the topic a little bit here and ask a question that I ask all my guests. I call this the improv segment when I ask if you have an experiment or try this at home, a suggestion that listeners can do to enhance their lives with music. Yes, I have something that everyone can do uh, right away to kind of dip the toe in the creative pool and not feel any pressure. We call this game in our classroom Foursquare. Now, when you say to your child, we're going to play Foursquare, they're going to say, well, where's the ball? And where's, you know, we're going to go outside. And we say, no, this is Foursquare for music. What you do is you make a kind of a cross on a piece of paper, so four quadrants, and you leave a little circle in the middle for your scoring. And what you do is you pick a theme. You know, if you're, if you're just starting out, uh, animals are great. So I'd say, okay, choose four different animals and try to make them very different. So you might have a large, uh, a large elephant and a small mouse and a scary shark and um, you know, a fast horse or something like that. And how the game works is whoever's up goes to the keyboard or the piano and they pick 
one of those animals on the board, but they don't tell anyone else in the room what they picked. Mm. And what they do is they have to turn it into music. And so what you're asking them to do is to basically communicate through musical language. So, for example, if it's a scary shark, they can literally just slam their hand down on the low end of the piano and go, okay, that's it. Uh, okay. <laughs> and everyone would get that and say, oh, that's a scary shark. Now, isn't that amazing how quickly we would get that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Or if it's, uh, if it's a tiny mouse, you might go to the high end of the, of the keyboard and start to play quick, quick notes as fast as your fingers can move because anyone can play a musical note. You just press it down. Uh-huh. So you could literally just go and press one note and say, okay, that's, that's how I'm communicating. Now, you probably want to do a little bit more to help out your audience, but sure. listen, if that's all you, you play a low note called a shark, great. There's no wrong answer with Foursquare. It's your creativity. It's, uh, there's no wrong answer. It's completely up to whatever you want. There might be a couple of guesses in there that are different. That's fine. You know, People can interpret what you do different ways. But that's why if you keep the, the four things very different um, from each other, mm-hmm. it's really fun. And you're just amazed at how you're able to, what we call uh, descriptors. So you're mm-hmm. able to describe things musically, you know, high notes, low notes, up, down, loud, soft. All those can help craft this language and help people understand what you're doing without saying a word. It's just mm-hmm. it's so much fun. Oh, fun. Yeah, that sounds intriguing. <laughs> uh, well, I'll include lots of links in the show notes of ways to connect with Graham and his Keys and Kingdoms game. I'll also have a lot of links in there to multiple intelligences information and articles, including Harvard's Project Zero site that's devoted to MI and MI Oasis, which is the official site of multiple intelligences. I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending. I call it a coda by sharing a song or a story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Is there a song or a story that you can share with us today? Yeah, I'd love to share with you um, my eight-year-old son. And so this sounds really tragic, but because I'm basically working two full-time jobs and raising four children, um, it's very hard to find time to teach my own child. Sure. Pathetic. I, I know we're going to fix that real soon, but, um, he listens to and watches what I do and he learns that way. And so I taught him, we were listening to one of my favorite composers, uh, Ludovico and Audi. Um, I'm probably botching his name, but, um, he's fantastic. I love his piano recordings. And my son was like, dad, can you, can you teach me that real quick? And so of course with our method, it's almost instantaneous. I said yes, and he took it and just ran with it. And now what he's done is just like mind-blowing to me even because I'm looking at him like, I didn't teach you that, so how are you doing that? (laughs) (laughs) So I'd love to share with the audience uh, my eight-year-old son playing something from his new album and the song I believe is called Ascent. Hi, my name is Tristan Winder. I'm eight years old, and I'm going to play Ascent by Ludovico Anaudi.
Thank you. Great job, Tristan. Thank you for sharing that beautiful song. I really enjoyed listening to you play. Keep it up. Thanks also to Graham for sharing his story with us and the fascinating information on different learning intelligences. On Saturday, we celebrate 4th of July, Independence Day here in the U.S. As we celebrate our country's birthday this week, I encourage you to listen to these inspiring previous guests who show music's connection to the fight for freedom, those who have sacrificed to preserve our freedoms, and also the great American game of baseball. I'll include these links in the show notes. Episode 15 is a Veterans Day tribute and a look at the role of music in the military with Hari Villanueva, TAPS historian. Episode 25 is Martin Luther King Day, special focus on the role of spirituals within African-American culture. Episode 30 takes a look at the role of music in baseball. It's titled Baseball and Organ, the Sound of Spring Fever with Minnesota Twins organist Sue Nelson. And little did we know at the time of the interview what an unusual baseball season we were in for. Episode 43 is a Memorial Day special with a combat veteran telling his story and sharing how music is serving those who serve our country with creative vets Richard Casper. And episode 47, in honor of George Floyd, the role of music in social justice with Bruce Henry. And speaking of social justice, I am making my way through Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. It's very interesting and enlightening. I recommend it. It is not light reading or easy reading. I'm taking it one chapter at a time so I can digest and absorb the information and take it all in. I did watch the movie Just Mercy this past weekend, and wow, It was very well done and very powerful. It was actually recommended to me by a friend months ago. And since George Floyd was killed, I've seen the movie on numerous recommendation lists. It's an incredible, moving, true story. One of the main characters in the movie is based on real-life Brian Stevenson, who also authored a book called Just Mercy. I'll include in the show notes a short YouTube video that Brian put together on June 16, just a couple weeks ago, sharing his perspective, and it's titled How We Arrived Here. If you've been listening to the show in the last month, you've heard me rave about the tech help I've gotten from my 15-year-old son, Eric, especially when it came to video editing for my spring piano recital. Eric is a tech wizard, and I encourage him to put together a website so that he can help more people for a modest charge, which he did. If you or someone you know could use some some tech help, you can connect with Eric at erictech, that's spelled E-R-I-K, T-E-C-H dot help. Eric's great at helping out with email and device troubleshooting, Zoom questions, device setup, and more. Feel free to share this information with others as well. Lastly, I want to give a shout out to listener Lynn in Maple Grove, Minnesota, who sent me an adorable video of her young son watching Lori Berkner's Goldfish song on YouTube after hearing about Lori's music for kids on episode 45. I love hearing from listeners. So thanks so much for sharing that with me, Lynn. Loved it. Thank you for joining me today. Warm wishes for a wonderful 4th of July weekend. If you think of it, I'd love to have you tell a family member or friend about this show while you're celebrating. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with freedom and music.
I'm a huge advocate of anyone who's trying to get more music in the world. And that, that includes all teachers, all educators, and like yourself, just being great voices for the power of music. It's, it needs to be shouted from the mountaintops constantly.